Well, hey, before I get started, uh, we've got a testimony to share. So Matt's making his way over to David Claypool, if you want to stand on up. Um, so over the last uh, month or so, our house group has been discussing different ways that we could possibly do some mission work. And it came to our attention that one of a family member of one of our house group members had lost their job back in June, uh, was struggling with um, bills and food. So after uh, one of our meetings, we decided that that would, what better way to start than help somebody in need. So after discussions, um, monetary donations, food from a food pantry, um, even had spoke with Ryan and received a couple bags of groceries from the church, um, I'm happy to say that uh, not only was this person's cupboard filled with food, um, she was able to pay not one bill, but three bills. So... Um, just within the group. So it's, it's really awesome the way that uh, they, everybody came together. That's awesome. Thanks, David. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so one of the reasons why, um, why we share stories is because here everybody gets to play. And uh, one of our prime missional vehicles are our house groups. It's kind of our discipleship and missional vehicle uh, together and there's stuff that like the church doesn't have necessarily the time or capacity to meet all these individual needs or even know about them. But in house groups, that there's an opportunity to meet the needs of people that we're close to, people we're praying for, ministering to, and just people like in our neighborhood. And it's a way that we can share Jesus and have a deep and broad impact on on the world around us. So, so if you're not part of a house group or if you're part of one, it's like, and like you're wondering, why are they talking about doing like this missional thing? Because it's, we, we, we know there's so much more to this than just getting together for fellowship. It's about fellowship too. And part of fellowship is that in this world, we're like Jesus. And so I'm just thrilled to hear that uh, your guys' group took that opportunity to show the love of God in a very practical way to uh, Service Lady, and there's other great stories. So if you ever have a story you wanna share from your house group, uh, let me know. We wanna broadcast those, highlight those. It's our bread and butter, and we're so thankful for that. So, Father, we just thank you for coming in this place. We thank you for the way you're moving on your people's hearts and lives, Lord. I praise you today that, um, Lord, that we can come in here no matter how we feel. If we're heavy, if our hearts are broken, if it's been a great week, whatever, we can just come before you as we are. So, Lord, I pray for people specifically today coming in with just uh, marriage issues and married, uh, marital challenges or financial challenges. Would you just pour out your spirit and breathe life on those things, Lord, on those uh, people, on the occasions, Lord, and whatever's going on. And Lord, I pray that you speak to me and through me today and that, uh, that, Lord, whatever's not of you would just fall off and that your word would come forth. And I pray this now in Jesus' name, Father, amen. Well, uh, well hey, we are in Jesus everything. We're in our next to last week of that. And as we've been talking about it, last week we talked about time, talent, and treasure. And we, and we learned where our treasure is, our heart is. And we also talked about how deep are we willing to go down the hole. Uh, saw that uh, clip from The Matrix where um, uh, Morpheus gives Neo the choice of the red pill or the blue pill. He said, like, the blue pill is you go back to it hunky-dory, forget we ever talked. But the red pill is, like, how far do you want to see this thing go, Alice? 
How far do you want to follow the rabbit down the hole to a whole new adventure, to a more uh, powerful, amazing, just flipped out uh, journey than you could ever imagine? And so we talked about how far this thing goes. And with Jesus, everything, that word means everything. And we keep singing this song, everything, because it highlights that we're talking about Jesus, everything. And Jesus wants our hearts. And we know the way the Bible says to go after him. It says the kingdom of God is like this. A man went into a field, found a great treasure. Wasn't his field, but he went home, got all of his accounts in order, and got rid of everything he had to buy this treasure. And a Jesus everything life isn't that Jesus is some add-on, that he's the cheese on the burger. No, he's the burger. That he is everything to us. And that we give it all to him and for him because he's worth that. That's what a Jesus, everything life's about. And so it includes our marriages. It includes our physical habits. It includes what we think about, what we talk about, how we talk about it, how we treat people, how we treat ourselves. It includes how we spend money. It includes how we spend our time. It includes our dreaming, our waking, our watching, our sleeping, and our planning, and our eating, and all of it that A disciple-making culture, the apex, the base of that is that we bring glory to Jesus in everything we think, say, and do. And none of us is perfect. None of us is perfect. Like, I I eat too much, not gonna lie. My wife gets mad at me because I eat bad things and I shouldn't. And and not just because I eat too much, it's like because I'm not healthy. And there's some stuff that I've got and like, and I need to make good decisions or the things I talk about sometimes don't bring glory to God or the way I talk about the things I talk about don't always bring glory to God. And Jesus deserves glory in everything that I do because he gave everything for me. And so it's this thing where it's like none of us is perfect, but is my life, if if I look back from five years ago, am I increasing, am I growing in my capacity to give and receive God's love? Am I becoming more like him or am I just the same person? Or am I like, oh, this is just who I am. It's just who I am. If if that's just who we are, then what did Jesus die for? You've heard me say before, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Yeah, he wants to resurrect every fabric of our life. You might say, well, I'm pretty good at A, B, or C. I bet you're not as good as Jesus is at it. I know I'm not. It doesn't matter how smart we are, how capable we are, how strong we are, how organized we are, how prayerful we are, how loving we are, how generous we are, how wise we are, how forgiving we are. Jesus has us covered in spades on every drop of it. And so that's why we can talk very comfortably and confidently about Jesus everything. And so what I'm gonna talk about today is directly about the treasure that our hearts often tied to, and specifically money. We've talked the last couple weeks, we talked about save, spend, share, about how we orient our finances around the kingdom. And we talked about if our spending's out of control, we will not be able to save the way we want to or give the way we're called to if we're spending every dollar we make and more. So it's really important to, as much as we can, get out of debt. And last week we talked about our time, talent, and treasure, about orienting all of our lives, that, that, that Jesus is worth all of it. And this week we're going to talk about tithing. So people are like, Grab, get me the gag bag, get me out of here, why didn't you send me an update on this? Because if I sent it, you wouldn't have come. 
And you're probably thinking, preacher, is this the annual beg? Is this where you're gonna make us feel bad? We know you didn't really do it last year because you were brand new and you didn't want us to run you out of town on a rail, but how dare you now? How dare I now is because um, Jesus talks about, like I said, he talks more about money than he does heaven and hell. He talks more about money than he does sex. He talks more about money than he does marriage. He talks more about money than he does politics because he knows where our treasure is, our heart is. But this isn't gonna be something where it's gonna be a blab and grab, health and wealth, name it, claim it sort of thing. Okay, so we're gonna talk about tithing, but we're not gonna talk about some ridiculous, um, you know, like uh, pyramid way to get everything we want right now. And as a result to this, a lot of pastors either talk about money way too much or they don't talk about it at all. Some people don't want to be associated with the, you know, lay your hands on the screen and we'll give you everything that you want. Kind of that Maxwell Lord Ligoff of Wonder Woman, like just give me your hands and I'll give you what you want. That's not what I'm here to talk about today. I want to talk about this stuff in a balanced way. That's why we've talked about save, spend, share. We didn't just talk about spend or save or share or time, talent, treasure. We wanna talk about all of it because like, if we look on, like, on our logo, you'll notice that we have like a triangle, like the up, in, and out, because in God, there's balance. And Matthew 5, 48 says, therefore be perfect as your Father in heaven's perfect. Like the Hebrew Aramaic rendering of that, the connotation is really be balanced as your Father in heaven's balanced. Because God says that the perfection in Zion, like the beauty, are his balanced scale, his righteousness and his justice. Like God is a balanced scale God. So we can't talk about Jesus everything and not talk about money. And, we, and we're never going to be a church that's going to lay off the hard stuff. We're not going to not talk about stuff because it makes people... Uh, feel uncomfortable. We want to talk about what God's calling us to. Now, we don't want to be the people like the shock jocks of the Christian airwaves where we're just going to shock people and talk about it just to make people feel cringy. That's not the goal, but we're also going to talk about things that can make us feel cringy because we want to talk about Jesus. And he's Lord of everything. (laughs) Um, Today, we're going to talk about tithes and offerings. And so I've heard some people say, is tithe even, who's heard the word tithe before? Okay, everyone seems like, if you've never heard, like, and, and, and there's a, so tithe, tithe is the Hebrew word, um, eser, it's where we get our word excise, like an excise tax, it's, um, eser, it just means a tenth, it means one tenth, so tithe just means tenth, so if you're wondering where that word comes from, it's just a tenth, and, and maybe you're like, is this a New Testament concept? Because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, tithing, that's under the law. That's the Old Testament stuff. That's what, under like the Mosaic law, that's what they had to do. That's old-fashioned. We don't have to do it anymore. We're under grace. That's the law. Well, I want to let, let you know that um, there are, there are, so here, I'm going to skip ahead a, a couple slides. In the Bible, I talk, I call this kind of string theory theology, If you want to know, how do I have really good theology? How do I know I'm believing right stuff? Put a post in Genesis 1. Put a post in Revelation 22. Run a zip line through that bad boy and see where do things keep coming up and how do they come up. 
There's a thing called exegesis. Exegesis is not exegesis, it's G-E-S-I-S. Exegesis is, is the way we study like the Bible. It's a homiletical, hermeneutical principle of when you're preparing a, a discourse, either written or verbal, um, that you, how, how do we approach the Bible? The best way to approach the Bible is to take the sum of the whole and let it interpret the part. Eisegesis is where these people get strange theologies. They take these weird little things and they just hang on this one phrase, this one word, this one passage, or this one um, just verse, and then they let that interpret the rest of the Bible. But really, good theology is what I would call kind of string theory. You run it through the whole thing across that string. And where does it come up again and again and again? And one of the best ways to look at string theory theology is what comes before the Old Covenant. Because the Bible's not just about the law. The law doesn't start till several thousand years after humankind has wrecked it a bunch of times. And so when we look at tithing, one of the first ways to to do it is we look in Genesis, where Abraham wins this war, and Abraham goes before this king, Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the priest king. Priest king, does that sound like anyone else? His name means prince of peace, king of righteousness. Does that sound like anyone else? Abraham, after this battle, goes before this prince of peace, king of righteousness, Melchizedek, and we learn later in uh, in the book of Hebrews, six, seven, eight, nine, kind of in that cluster where we see that Jesus is called Melchizedek. So Abraham, after he wins this war and collected all the spoils, he goes before this prince of peace, king of righteousness, and gives him a tithe. He goes before the one who blessed him, who helped him win the battle, and he says, here's your portion. So thousands of years before the covenant, the old or you know, at least a thousand years before, like the old test, um, like the old covenant was given in, in the law, we see Abraham paying a tithe to Jesus. Jesus appears in the Old Testament. You're like, how is that possible? Well, because he's been around forever, and we see him show up in kind of these uh, theophanies or these terraforms in different places in the Old Testament, where the angel of the Lord comes, or the divine counsel appears, or Jesus appears as as uh, Melchizedek, or he appears uh, like as Elihu, or he appears in these other ways where we see Jesus appearing. So we know before the law, and it says Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so we see before the, the, all the commands were given by Moses and Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that the tithe was already given back then. And so what it, it tithe, like I says, is um, really where we get our word excise, which means to mine, cut down, dig respect, um, or lop off a portion and set it aside for another purpose. And tithing in the Old Testament concept was offered of crops, of money, of resources. Um, and it always occurred in three areas. Tithing's always talked about in one of three ways. Do we got that slide? One, it suggests the people's trust in Yahweh. And it causes people to share, to provide for the needs of the temple, for the church, of its mission. And then also, the other way that tithing went for was to provide for those who are destitute. So the Lord challenged the people to bring the full tithe of grain sacrifices in um, 
also in the law, Leviticus, you know, 6, 14 through 23. And he said he would bless them with abundant future crops. It's interesting, there are, uh, there are two separate exiles. There's one exile that happens because God says they failed to keep the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Book of Jeremiah says, hey, because you haven't kept the Sabbath, for all the Sabbaths you missed, I'm gonna send you into exile. So for all the days you didn't give me, I'm gonna send you off to do your own thing. And then there's also, there's another exile where he says, you just didn't trust me as the Lord. You didn't trust me. You, did, you cursed what I blessed. You cursed it by withholding it from me. You cursed it by giving me lame offerings. You cursed it by being stingy and greedy and not caring about those in need. And so there's two different exiles. One is linked to a lack of trust with the Sabbath and a lack of trust with the tithe. There's a passage in Malachi, it says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, the full tithe, that there may be food in my storehouse, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing till there is no more need. See, the storehouse mentioned in verse 10 is kind of a storehouse of grain, and there was, a store, there was a storehouse of grain was in the temple. And God tied all this stuff to the temple because that was really where, in the Old Testament concept, where his glory, his glory resided. And so talking about this, that like God says, like, hey, listen, if you don't do this, like, I mean, look in Deuteronomy, look in Joshua. He says, I put before you today blessings and curses. God's heart's, do you know God's heart is never to ravage or to discipline us? Do you know God is not a reactionary God who's waiting for the other shoe to drop so he can punish us? No, God is a God who who wants, he says all the time, like, listen, do this, trust me, and watch what I do with your life. Watch what I do with your marriage. Watch what I do with your business. Watch what I do with your kids. Watch what I do with your finances. Trust me. And he gives us opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. He says, trust me, trust me. Why does he want us to trust him? Because he's a relationship-based God. Not because he's some raging despot up in heaven needing our, our pennies. It's all his. He says he lends it to us. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. He says the earth is the Lord's and everything is it in it. So do you know that really it's saying, he's saying, I gave it all to you. Are you trusting me back with it? Or do you treat it like it's yours? Really, tithing is about, it it says the same thing as Sabbath. Like I've said before, God can do more with six days than we can do with seven. And he can do more than 90% of our money than we can do with 100. It's just a trust. It's a tangible way to say, I trust you. And you might say, well, I don't have time to Sabbath. Or I don't have enough money to tithe. I think you can't afford not to tithe. I know I can't afford not to tithe. And I know even times when I have excess, like I know that's from the Lord. And so it's not a punishment. It's not some cruel demand with no end in sight. He says, I will bless you more if you'll trust me with this little bit. Watch what I do with the 90. Some of you are so concerned with the 10% that you're missing the 90. 
And there's always enough with Jesus. He took a kid's Lunchable and he fed 20,000 people plus. It was 5,000 men. It didn't count all the women and children that were there. It's a thing where if we will trust him with what we, what we have, he says, watch what I do with the rest of it. Trust me with this little bit and watch what I do with more. And Jesus, everything life just says, God, I orient my whole existence, all my faculties, believing you can do more with my life than I can do with it. Jesus, everything is just rooted in the thing of trust and faith. And it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And a lot of us, I believe, we're missing kingdom opportunities. A lot of people stay broke. A lot of people stay in debt simply because they don't tithe. Your car might break down all the time. Everything in your life might break down regularly. And I think you might be able to trace. And I'm not saying that everything's hunky-dory if you do tithe. But like I have a friend who took his car in his place and this dude's like, you must tithe. He's like, because this POC on wheels, dude, should not be making it oil change to oil change. And the guy's like, it's changed everything for, for me, seeing people's cars. I just started asking them if they tithe. Because some of these things come in here that are still running and they shouldn't, but other people bring in the same thing and they're push, drag, and pulling, but they're not giving their, their stuff away to God. And I've heard people say, well, we're not in the old covenant, so since we don't have a temple anymore, we don't have to tithe. I think Jesus says it here, Luke eleven forty two. He says, but woo do you Pharisees and teachers of the law, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and all you have, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done and are correct in doing so without also neglecting the others. So Jesus says like, hey, you guys give a tenth of all you have and you're right in doing it but you also shouldn't be losers that are treating people terrible. Because the Pharisees wanted to follow the law, but their hearts were gross. Jesus says, I've lifted off the restrictions of the law that you could never keep, and I've put my spirit in you to change your heart. So now you're, you're, our righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees because our hearts are better. Our hearts are different. Jesus has taken out the hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh. And he shines the light on the dark spots of us that the law never could because the law is from the outside in. And there's still this flesh thing that obfuscates that light. But Jesus says, I'm gonna go one better. I'm gonna come live inside of you and I'm gonna let the, the light start pushing out that way. And he, so he knows what's in our hearts and he says, you guys should not have neglected this either. You shouldn't have neglected tithing and giving in all the stuff you were doing, but I also want your hearts to be in the right place when you do it. Because I want your hearts. I'm not so concerned with your money. I'm not so concerned with your Sunday or Saturday or whatever day it is. I want your heart, but these things will be proof positive evidence that you're trusting me more and more with your heart. Does that make sense? They're tangible expressions. Book of James says, hey, will you say I have faith, but I don't have any works? And James says, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And so we're not preaching a works-based Christianity, but, a, but we don't work to get to heaven. We work because heaven's getting to us. And so the way we start living differently is heaven gets, takes more hold of me, and it has further and further jurisdiction in every crack, crevice expression of my life. And we take it seriously at this church. 
I mean, for us, like people, how we vet, if you're, someone's on our board or you're on our staff, like these are things we expect that if people go here, that they're, that they're invested here. Like the people who gave me my mortgage expect me to live at my house and, and help care for it and pay for it, right? And so if this is your church, do you, do you give here? Do you, do you tithe here? Do you give your time, talent, treasure to this body? Oh, that's, that's not my thing. Well, if it's not, is it not your thing or are we not your thing? Because honestly, if we're not your thing and you don't believe, don't believe in what we're doing, I really encourage you and release you. Go find a body where you really believe in their vision. Because this isn't like a thing like, oh, we just want, want all your money. No, this is Christians across the world. This is the expectation that we contribute our time, talent, and treasure that we tithe to the local body we're part of. So if you're like, I don't know if I wanna give here, that's fine, but I really encourage you, go find somewhere where your heart is attached because where your treasure is, your heart is. And if your heart's there, go, plug in, serve, love, lead. Be who you were meant to be at a body God's calling you to. And you might say, well, you're kicking us out of church. I'm not, but I'm saying, but if you don't believe in the mission of this church, like enough to give to it, go find somewhere where you do. I mean, listen, God will provide. God, I, I, I live by nothing else, God will provide. He will provide for all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So he'll have the people here he wants here. And so I'm not like, I, I want people to stay. I wanna see this place fill up and I wanna see house groups multiply and mission multiply and I wanna see us do things that we couldn't do on our own because God's breathing on it. But also too, I want you to feel freedom like to bloom where you're planted and wherever God's sending you, are you obeying him? Tithing is an obedience issue. There's no other way to slice it. There's no other way to slice it. Just to be frank, it's an obedience issue. And Jesus says, if you love me, you obey me. He puts the contingency of our love on obedience because he says, I obeyed down to giving my life away. I gave everything I gave everything. So he's not asking us to do something he's never done himself. And, you know, my family and I, I'm not saying in a bragging way, uh, we tithe. We give. There's a difference between tithe and offering. We tithe to our church, and then above that 10%, we then give to missionaries or causes. So if you're wondering what I think the biblical breakdown is, you can disagree if you want. I think the biblical breakdown is the, the church you go to that you're part of that body, you tithe there, that 10%. And then if there's missionaries, uh, you know, food banks, whatever, that you extra, because I think 10% is a starting point. It's a starting point. It's a launch pad. Because I think all of us, if we look, look around in our cupboards or we look around at maybe our waistlines or we look at our, you know, our bank statements, a lot of us don't need what we have to the extent we have it. We could all give up probably more for the kingdom if we're really honest with ourselves. And there are biblical and beautiful moving depictions of generosity, especially when we look in, in the book of Acts. We look at the, that, that church was full of people who just said, I am going for it. They brought everything to the apostles and they said, we're just dumping it all out. We sold, you know, we sold the farm to get the pearl. Barna research shows that only 35% of Christians completely trust 
their churches with financial support. This is important for churches to recognize, it says, because over one-third of Christians, 37%, see their donation outside of the church as part of their tithe. And some Christians may decide to redistribute their charitable dollars elsewhere, depending on their level of trust. And like I said, do you, do you trust what we're doing here? That, that's, that's a matter, because if I trust something, I'm gonna show it by, with my feet and with my time, talent, treasure. And so I really want you to ask yourself that question if you're not giving. It's like, why, why not? And I'm not saying that to shame anyone. You don't owe it to me to come tell me, but it's between you and Jesus. It's like, Lord, do I believe in this? First of all, do I believe in this? Do I trust what it says in here over and over again? Because there's a lot of us who trust our own way. And God will say, fine, I won't share my glory with another. You just go off like on that trajectory. But that's not, I have so much better for you than your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's why we talk out of this book every week because in this is life. In here, Jesus says, my words are spirit in their life in John chapter six. And so Jesus, when we start obeying him, we can start seeing areas that were dead, that were fallow, that have been broken down our whole life, and we can, we can obey in one minute, and he can take it and just change it literally overnight. Some of our financial situations, and I'm not trying to health and wealth, whatever, but some of our financial situations are bleak because we're in disobedience. We're in disobedience with our spending habits, maybe that we're not wise with our saving habits, and we're disobedient in our giving patterns. And God says, well, why don't you obey me first, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Some of us want this big grand thing, this pie in the sky, and we wanna see this great move of God, and God says, why don't you first give me that part of your heart that's unsurrendered? And for many of us in our country, it's finances. It's finances, and it's hard. It's hard to not keep up with the Joneses. It's hard not to be inundated with all the marketing, advertising, people, their best life and their best day and on their like, Cancun vacation and this and that. And it's hard not to want to keep up and feel bad about yourself or to feel like you need that. And I'll tell you, the only thing we need is Jesus. That's it. You might say, dude, that is so Pollyanda Sunday school. Well, it's, it's in the book. And he says, unless we come to him as little children, that we'll never be able to receive what he's doing. So unless we come with a, you know what that is? Is we trust. You think if you told your three-year-old, if they have a dollar, like, hey, you have a dollar, you keep 90 cents and you put a dime in the church coffer. Do you think they're gonna really argue with you that much? Be like, okay. That's how Jesus wants us to come to him. Not without our brains, but he wants first with our hearts. Our hearts are always the first thing Jesus is after. 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 13 says this. We can bring the verses up. There is no need for me to write you about the service of the Lord's people. For you know, for I know of your eagerness and help and the way, I mean, boasting about it to the people in Macedonia, telling them since the last year, uh, you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Paul's saying like, listen, there's no need to tell you. I've bragged about your guys' uh, generosity and your kindness. I'm telling other people. And it stirred them to be generous too. And that's why we share stories here is because when we hear other people getting less encumbered by the world in some capacity, that maybe it stirs us up to action and gives us encouragement and gives us the boldness to do it. And, um, and just to see we're not alone when we are doing it. 
He says, but I am sending the brothers to you in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you'd be ready as I said you would be. Next verse. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to visit you in advance and finish uh, the arrangements for the uh, generous gift you had promised. So this church had been promising they would give a big donation, and Paul says, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming to get that now, to take it back, because there's a church that's in great need. And he says, as you'd promised, then it would be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap, will also reap sparingly. If we only say, I want to give a buck or two in the coffer, and we wonder why God's not blown on our lives. I mean, if you only got 10 or 20 bucks, that's fine. But some of us, like just like the, like I remember as a Catholic, like going to mass a couple times with my grandparents, my dad's parents when I was a kid, like seeing like people put uh, a buck here, a buck there. Remember um, the um, Eddie Murphy movie, Coming to America? Anyone seen Coming to America? Remember, they're sitting there and like the old guys, like Arsenio Hall is like, they're putting the offering bucket. He's like, and he puts like his chicken bone in it. He's like, sorry, I thought it was a trash. Like, you know, he just thought they were messing around. He puts his eating like chicken leg in there. And he says, uh, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. I don't want to just talk about the negatives of it. Do you know when we give, God wants to move. And if we're faithful and little, he'll give us more. End of story. Each of you should give what have you decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need will abound in every good work. As is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. It says in the scripture, when we lend to the poor, we lend to God. And it says when we do this, that it goes forever. It says that the curse falls on the wicked to the third and fourth generation, but of the righteous, it goes a thousand. There won't even be a thousand generations when it's all said and done, I don't think. What he's saying is forever, this will follow you. Now, he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul's saying, like, you gotta trust us. As your leaders, trust us, what we're teaching you, what we're telling you, and trust when we take this there, God's gonna move upon it. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but overflowing in many expression of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out for you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I can tell you the ministries we support, CareNet, uh, Reset, the missionaries we support in Latvia, uh, uh, in Latvia and England and the missionaries like in the Middle East and the other places where we're sending money out, the food pantry. Like these people aren't cursing us. No one's cursing us where the gifts we're giving them. No one's cursing us when we show God's kindness. No one's cursing us when, when, they're, when even they don't deserve it and we show Jesus' love in a lavish way that they never expected. That lady's not cursing David's group for being generous. 
There's a blessing associated with generosity. Jesus is generous. He is a generous God. And it says, in this world, we are like him. So if discipleship's the process of becoming like Jesus, and we're making our purpose to become like Jesus, that we should be becoming more and more generous people that are tied and encumbered to this world. And generosity in tithes and offerings has a he and me and we effect. Do you know that? One, I bless God. When we give, it says here in verses nine, uh, seven and eight, 11 and 13 and 15, when we bless, we bless God. When we're generous, we bless God. Isn't that cool? Like when, when we obey, when, when, when you and I obey, we give Jesus that one thing he doesn't have, which is our heart, that part of our heart. That's why he loves obedience because it's showing that we want to relate to him as he relates to us. That we wanna give to him what he's given to us. And I get blessed. You and I get blessed when we give. It says in verse six, eight, 10, 11, and 14. When we give, we get blessed. And then it says that we bless others in verse nine, verses 12 through 13. And so I'm not saying we don't, we don't give to get. We get to give. And as we do, God says, watch how faithful that I am. Because he says, I'll, I'll bring the curse if you withhold. But he's like, watch how much more the blessing is. Because I would way rather bless you than I would curse you. Do you know God would rather bless your life, bless your marriage, bless your ministry, bless your finances, bless your family, bless your employer, bless your people in your neighborhood. He would rather bless way more than he would curse. His original plan was blessing. It ends with a blessing. You run that string from one to another and you see again God telling people, Come on, come on, come on, come on. I wanna bless you. I have good things in front of you. I've for the year this day, life and death, blessings and curses. I have this stuff. I have the cross. There's heaven, there's hell, but I way prefer heaven because I don't want any to perish. That's why Jesus hasn't come back. He's so generous. He wants to share his love with everyone and he wants heaven crowded because he's generous at his core. If he was stingy, if he was a taskmaster and he just wanted to blast people, he would cut it off quick and so everyone would go to hell. He's not that kind of God. And tithing is just a thing. It's the bare minimum, just saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust your good. I trust your heart for me. I trust the leaders you've given me. I trust, I trust my church. I trust the body of Christ. And maybe you've been burnt Maybe you've been burnt in that past and you're just trying to make your way back and you're like, man, I've been part of churches or a scandal, there was scam. I'm sorry that's happened to you and that sucks. I'm not gonna make any excuses. That just sucks royally. I'll tell you, we have tons and tons of metrics in place that um, it'd be very hard to perform a scandal here. We have accountability and different people in places on a lot of different strata that would make it hard here. And we've built our system because we wanna be on the up and up because we believe the Lord is truth. And so what comes in here, we're honest about. And we have honest ways to, um, to distribute, to save, to spend those dollars. And so I, you know, I wanna, uh, wanna encourage you with this um, this quote by a guy named Jim George. He says, the basic question is not how much of our money should we give to God, 
But how, the real other side of the coin is how much of God's money should we keep for ourselves? Because he's already told us a tenth. He was real plain with that. And that's the starting point. That's the launch pad. And this may really ruffle your feathers. Maybe you're in a situation where you're like, well, my spouse won't tithe. Well, you can tithe off what you give. God honors that. I'm just saying, what, what are you called to personally? What are you called to do? And this might shrink our church. Some of you might be seething, just waiting to run out of here. You, you take that up, up with Yahweh. You take that up with him. At least pray about it. If you're pissed, at least talk about it with God. At least talk about God and say, why am I so mad about this? Why does this get me so upset? Why is my theology so opposed to this? Why is my philosophy so averse to this? Ask God. Or maybe you say, I can't afford to. I bet you could. And I bet if you did, like I remember years ago when my brother was very young, 19 years old, he had a bunch of issues with his spending and just was making some bad choices. But my dad kind of took over his finances and said, and just went through him. He said, okay, here's what you're not gonna do anymore. And he went to tithing. He said, you're not tithing anymore. And my brother said, no, I'm going to. And my dad said, like, heck, you are. And my brother said, listen, I will obey God before I obey you. He's like, end of story. He said, dad, I can't afford not to tithe. And I've seen the Lord, in that, that principle in his life, just the Lord's blessed my brother in a lot of ways, but he's just been, it's been a very fundamental thing. And I've seen it in my own life. Like there was time years ago, where we were down to, um, we had no money. We had $400. No, we didn't have $400. We had $200, but we had a bill that was due. And it was $402. And we're just like, Jesus, we don't know what to do. And we paid our tithe instead of our bill. Well, we get home one night the night before the bills due, and in our mailbox is sitting $400. Just felt like I was, someone said, I felt like I was supposed to give this to you. I remember years ago as a young man, uh, there was this guy who came, missionary, spoke. I had $100 and I had $4 in my checking account. I'd gotten a $100 tip on my job. I was a pizza delivery driver. And I'd gotten the, the biggest tip I'd ever got. And my car broke down. It was $900. And I had $100 and I had $4. I'm like, but I felt the Lord say, give the guy the $100 bill that I gave you. Okay, okay. I'm, just, I'm gonna obey you, I'm gonna trust. Literally the next day, someone just calls me and said, hey, I don't know, man, I was just praying for you. I feel like I'm supposed to give you $900. Like, does that mean anything? I'm like, yes, my car costs $900. And so it's just that thing, it's just like, I've seen it time and again where, where we give and God says, let me take care of the rest. Where we give, when we're generous, God wants to be generous with us. He's not wanting to curse us. And I said, tithing equals trusting. It's a lifestyle and a mindset of faith equals trust. And so when we give, we say to the Lord, I trust you. That's why we do it. That's what it is. It's just a tangible expression that my time, talent, and treasure are orienting more and more to the cause of heaven. That's all it is. That's all it is. And so I encourage you to pray about this week. Talk with your family about it. Talk with your kids about it. Teach your kids. 
Teach them about it young. It's a lot easier to tithe off 10 bucks than it is off a thousand or off a million. Whatever it is, but you start that principle young. And it says when, when, it says when you sit at home, when you lie down, when you're with your family. All right. Well, Lord, send us the money to fix that because we're going to need it. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there. So, so anyway, that is a horrifying noise. Maybe a bird got caught in it. Uh, so, well, hey, um, and I want to give, and I want to end on this. It says in the book of Acts twenty thirty five. It says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So like, if you're wondering which is better, to get more or to give more, Jesus would say give. And so, that is horrible sounding. Um, well, hey, I'm gonna pray. Because it'll be very hard to listen to anything else I, ever, I have to say anyways. So, Jesus, we love you, we trust you. We know you can do more, yeah, there we go. Amen. <laughs> we love you, we trust you, that's all we need to say, Lord. And we. We know that you're Lord. And if we don't, would you help us? Maybe you're new here today and you're like, crud, I came to church on the day they talked about money, I'm out. <laughs> Lord, would you just help that person know that it's not just about money, that this is, it's way more than that, but that's part of it too. That you care about it because you care about us. And you want our hearts, Lord, because you want to bless us. You want to you take what we have and you want to multiply it to be a blessing to the world. Lord, help us to know you're a multiplying God. And friends, when we give, God multiplies that. We get to reach the poor, we reach the broken, we reach the addicts, we reach families and messes. We reach into the world in dark places and show the love of Jesus and we show that he came because he's a generous God. Lord, I thank you, you are so good and you're so kind. I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that we believe in you and that we can see you move in amazing ways. So Lord, help us to be red pill people who take everything that you have for us and watch you take that little thing of our lives, Lord, and multiply it into something that is a blessing for generations that would endure forever. We thank you and we praise you. It's in your mighty and powerful name we pray, Lord. Amen. Yeah.